Welcome to Film Grain. We're the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office. And this week, me and the guys, we're premiering another new feature, and that is The Weekend Crush. Thank you to the Criterion Collection for featuring a collection of Barbara Streisand. I happened to see this collection and immediately knew we had to cover the collection uh, because I'm a Barbara Streisand fan and Mike hates to admit it, but he also is a Barbara Streisand fan. Michael? I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't know. Michael, this is when you say that you love Barbara Streisand. I think I have a, an appreciation for Barbara Streisand and we're going to go into this and we're not necessarily, I want to emphasize, we're not necessarily going to get into the, um, the musicology of Barbara Streisand. We're talking about Barbara Streisand, the director. Yes. The director, producer. This is, important, this is an important distinction, but we'll, we'll get into yes. this a lot. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Mike. We're not talking about her as a singer. That's well, a whole- my, We just lost my mom then. My mom oh. now just turned off the podcast. Oh well, no, I, I, Mary! No, wait till, wait till stay after with Yentl. us, Mary. Wait stay with us, Mary. <laughs> yeah, Mary, you've seen Yentl. If you love her as a singer, you know Yentl. So we're going to talk about uh, the three films of her collection. We're each going to talk about one of them. I think you're going to love it. So I'm Erica Berlin, and I'm the executive director of the Film Society, and I'm the every woman of the streaming service. Yeah, I'm John Lyons. I'm a filmmaker, teaching artist, the director of programming, and a very much a Barbara Streisand filmography noob. I'm Mike Berlin, a cinema connoisseur. And go. Barbara Streisand's biggest fan. Babs? Yeah. I love Babs. <laughs> I love, you love Babs. You I, love I've, Babs. Seen, I've seen probably almost every single Barbara Streisand special, by the way. It, it, like, not again, not necessarily a super fan, just like for some reason, my mom loved Barbara Streisand. So that would be playing in like the CDs would be playing in the kitchen while she was cooking. Yep. And, uh, Been oh, there. Yeah. Been there. Yeah. This was a thing. I just want to comment that we watched last year, I think it was over Thanksgiving last year, there was a Barbara Streisand special on. We watched it. And at the end of the special, there was probably, I don't know, Mike, was it a five minute tribute that she produced? Oh, yeah. Um, a dedication to her dogs. Oh. He loves her dogs. What kind of dogs? Well, they got one of them passed away. Oh. Yeah, it, it was a tribute to her dog that passed away. She likes um, like white fluffy dog, little white fluffy dogs. Like, what are those? I apologize. Dog breeds are not my specialty. Yeah, they're little white questions with tight curls, like little dogs with little tight curls. Whatever those dogs are, super cute, super, super cute, cute dog. But she's obsessed with her dogs, so that's one tidbit of of Barbara trivia, but she's a, she's a fantastic woman, seven decade career. So we're going to get into Barbara, but one thing I want to acknowledge, um, today we are, we are recording on MLK junior day. Want to remind everybody that Ava DuVernay's Oscar nominated film Selma from 2014 had a significant impact on politics, MLK as a, as a figure, but we're gonna talk a lot about uh, female directors 
and his biography that she directed um, was nominated. She was nominated as a director, and of course she did not win. She was one of five women ever nominated as a director and did not win. Sorry. <laughs> what did I say? She sat her dog that passed cloned twice. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm no. Sorry. No. She did not. She did so. Oh God. So she really loved that dog. <laughs> oh my god okay so, so she cloned her dog. i didn't mean to derail no, that but i was i was quickly google searching to try and find is... out what kind of dog oh my god and i kept seeing so many results that said did barbara streisand really have her dog cloned? <laughs> <laughs> all right okay keep that in britain sorry britain britain <laughs> keep that in <laughs> but seriously Ava DuVernay was nominated for best director for Selma she did not win uh -huh. unfortunately too many women have been nominated well no let's back up too many great directors that are women haven't been nominated haven't gotten the recognition they deserve including yeah. Barbara Streisand so let's get into Barbara, shall we? Can I, real, real quick, oh. before we do, PSA, yes. uh, to go along with the MLK uh, theme, uh, yes. I would highly recommend Regina King's One Night in Miami. Yeah, good, good film. Oh, good. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it and can't recommend it highly enough. First time, first time feature director. Where can people watch One Night in Miami? Amazon Prime, Amazon. All right, yeah. there you go. So Barbara, a little background on Barbara. She was born in Brooklyn, yeah, in 1943. And she grew up very, very poor, uh, but she always knew she wanted to be an actress. And she knew that singing was her way to get there because she had a beautiful voice. She was always known as the girl that was singing on the on the stoop. She started singing in nightclubs and doing theater. So she was like hugely successful right off the bat. She recorded an album. It won album of the year. She did Funny Girl, which was her first movie. She won an Oscar, like right from the get-go, super successful. She is the only actress, well, not only. There are very few people um, in the world that have an, she, that are an EGOT. Guys, you know what EGOT means? Yeah, winner of all things, entertainment. I didn't know she had the EGOT. For the people Emmy, who don't know. Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscar, and the Tony. Thank you very much. And uh, she has spearheaded many projects, right? And today we're going to talk about the three that she produced, directed, and starred in. Yentl in 1983 was her first one. However, she did Yentl kind of on the backs of A Star is Born, which she had a lot of creative control over. I don't know if you know this. She had the final creative control. She had the final cut of the film, um, which kind of sucked because she had choice of director. So she had to kind of take all of his choices in terms of like all the camera angles and like all of his shots and use those to create the final cut. So I'm sure John as a director would be really annoyed if he had to like take someone else's shots and be like, well, I guess I'm going to have to, you know, make a movie out of this. I really wish I had that angle or that angle. So she had final, you know, cut, but she was a little like annoyed with it, but she was like really hit 
always had the desire to make her own movie. And um, in the Criterion Collection interview with her, she always had just a very specific vision. Whenever she was creating something, like she knew exactly how everything that she wanted to to do. She was very specific. So she did Yentl and then she followed that up with Prince of Tides in 1991. And then The Mirror Has Two Faces in 1996. And all three of those are adaptations of either stories or other films. Mike was the only one who had seen all three when we started this process. I had only seen one, which is very surprising because I'm a musical fan and I'm surprised that I hadn't seen Yentl. John, I'm not surprised at all that you hadn't seen any of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I only Yentl, I, I did not get a chance to watch. So I'm looking forward okay. to learning about Yentl from you all. Yentl is set in 1904 in Eastern Europe in Poland. And the backstory on Yentl, it's very kind of simple. The Orthodox Jews, women are not allowed to study the Torah. They're not allowed to study sacred texts, only men. Women are basically there to serve men. That's it. That's their purpose. Get married, have children, serve the men. That's it. So um, Yentl, she's a spinster. She's in her 20s. Not married. Spinster. So um, her father is very generous. And as a, as a um, learned sacred man who teaches other young men. She listens from the other room and her father actually teaches her. And she is like so interested and just loves the Torah and asks so many questions. And he teaches her secretly. So she's so passionate after he passes away, she's like, I, I need to go learn more. And one of the things I love about her character Yentl, and in fact, I think you guys would agree with me, all of her female characters are no question about it. They have the, the passion to just do what they're doing. They don't have like an inspiration moment to be like, I can do more. Oh my gosh, there's a big enough, there's a bigger world for me. They know already when you start the movie, they already know what they want. They're already empowered. They're already like smart. They're, they already have their, their power. And I love that about it, about her characters. They don't try to, they're not trying to figure it out. They know. So as soon as her father passes away, it's very sad, but she's like, nope, I'm going to go pretend to be a boy and get into a yeshiva. So she does it. Um, <clears throat> once she gets there, she almost immediately falls in love <laughs> with one of her classmates. And that's where it goes, where it gets, you know, somewhat comedic in a, in a way, but, you know, she kind of has to um, hide that. But he, you know, it, it's kind of exaggerated because her classmate, who's played by Mandy Patinkin, kind of like touches her a lot. You know, hey, buddy, you know, he kind of puts his arm around her a lot. And they come up with this ridiculous plan where he can't marry her. He's, you know, because, um, sorry, I'm sorry. He can't marry his uh, fiance. They find out that his brother has committed suicide and that brings shame on his family. So they find this rule in the Torah where if, if uh, she becomes widowed that he, uh, he can marry her because they're buddies or something, some weird, stupid rule. So he's like, you, you need to marry her. So she, as a female, marries this female 
And she, the whole half of the movie is her trying to like, I can't make love to you. Uh, let's just, let me teach you the Torah because I know you really want to learn the Torah, right? So she spends, she spends all this time empowering this woman who is just trying to serve him. It's just so weird. But I, it's like, it's so kind of feminist in this way because she's this really empowered woman pretending to be a man. So then she marries this woman and it's like, let me secretly teach you. And by the way, uh, once I teach you, be careful what you wish for, because once you learn the Torah, you learn that you can ask for sex. And now that you know you can ask for sex, now you're asking me for sex. And it's quite comedic in many ways. One of the things that you might like about it, John, because, you know, it's a, mu a musical. And by the way, John does not like musicals. But instead of it being like breaking out. They're, in, not, my, in... they're not my favorite genre. <laughs> Not your favorite, I know. If there's any musical, John, which one would would you actually say is a musical you could like? I, I think mean, we've I talked own, about this before. I own Moulin Rouge. Um, okay, M Moulin Rouge is great. Wonderful. Love it. Actually, my favorite musical. And does Romeo and Juliet, does that count as a musical? So Yentl is kind of a musical. It's more of like a movie with a soundtrack. You, you can give it you could call it a musical, but it's really just a soundtrack that's all Barbara Streisand. Okay. Right, Mike? I gotcha. Yeah, I think it's, it's a really interesting use uh, because she couldn't, let's backtrack a little bit. I'm sure Erica's going to get into this and I won't go too far, but uh, she had trouble getting this made. And uh, they pretty much could not get financing for the film for a while and it, they had to one of the i think the stipulations was that she had to be singing on it now i'm you not gonna go sing it. barbara oh, oh you have to sing in order to get your money because we only trust you as a singer first she, she had to sing for her supper literally. Uh -huh, and, yes and uh so and it's I, beautiful music in fact wonderful. when it came to the oscars that is where she won she won for best score best song I think that's it when it came to the music, right, Mike? Best uh, score, best song. I believe so, yeah. And I, I would just say that it's like, I think that the way that she uses music in Yentl and the way that she incorporates it, which is a very interesting take on it, which hadn't been done before. I think you go on and you'll see sort of remnants of like sort of other directors when the musical came back into prominence a couple of years ago, whether it was something like Chicago or even uh, Les Miserables, uh, not my favorite musical, but they... I think they definitely took a page from Yentl. Well, she even has most of the songs are happening in her head. And in fact, one of my favorite songs, which is kind of, which is also really funny. Amador is the name of her, um, her crush. Okay. At the yeshiva um, played by Mandy Patinkin. They go to the home of his fiance prior to the shame, prior to the nixing the, the betrothment and she watches him sit there and he is just like enamored with her he is so in love with her and she's singing this song in her head watching his fiance like serve him food and walk around the room in her beautiful clothing and her beautiful hair um and it's and her name is Hadass and she's played by Amy Irving who is also not she's nominated for a best supporting actress and one of the things I read was she was nominated for best supporting actress and she was also like nominated for a Razzie, which I think a Razzie, right, is like when you're nominated, when they say that you're terrible. So they thought she was terrible and they thought and they gave her an Oscar nomination, <laughs> which she didn't win. Um, but 
It's it's a hilarious song because Barbara Streisand in her mind is watching her like going, no wonder he loves her because all she thinks about is what's she going to wear that day and how can she serve him? How can she fill his glass before it's even empty? And oh, it's it's a hilarious song. But, you know, she's not breaking out and like singing with Mandy Patinkin and holding his hand. It's just, you know, I mean, it's 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 so wonderful. You'll have to. It's it's great. But. It's challenge. It's like challenging these rules of religion. Like every, ha- half the time throughout the movie, they're always saying it's forbidden. It's against the law. Like all of these things in the religion, like so many things are forbidden. And she's going like anything is possible. She says it over and over again. You know, anything is possible. You don't stop saying that, you know. And it's a really powerful moment, you know. I think it's I think the sexual politics of the whole thing is no matter what he's always going to say, there's no need for a woman to learn. Even though he is, he recognizes, you know, when there's big reveals, right? You know, eventually everything comes out. It doesn't, you know, you can't keep that secret forever, right? Even though he can acknowledge and appreciate the fact that Yentl is like, oh my God, you've learned all this. It's, I appreciate that. But why would you ever want to know? You're just a woman. You're still just a woman. I would never expect any woman that I love to know something. I would still just think that any woman I would ever love would just be there to have my babies. No, I think I no, no, I completely agree with all that sentiment. I also think on some level, and I'm sure I, I think Yentl is a little bit of a you know, it's, I, I think it's a little bit of a story on some level that she clearly related to because she she felt frozen out from being able to have that creative control for so long. Again, can't, can't emphasize enough. It took her, she was out of time, one of the biggest stars in the world, took her 14 years yeah. to be able yeah. to get the backing <clears throat> to make this film. One of the biggest stars of the year of the, of uh, she's an icon and it took, it took her 14 years to get this story made and it wasn't an extravagant budget. It wasn't crazy. And uh, just because at the end of the, back in the day, the feeling, the bullshit feeling was that, you know, females, women didn't have the temperament to be directors. And, um, and again, I think that's on some, that's why it's it, like Yentl is clearly, I, I definitely think there's some, comparisons that she's playing with there well and it took mandy patankin seven years to agree to do the movie because he was like a tony nominated broadway actor and he hated the script and he wouldn't do it and he finally was like if you help me rewrite the script with you then i'll do it i mean she couldn't even get the stars that she wanted to be in this movie so i don't know you know she just she could not get yeah, she could not get the people and the money and, you know, and it's Barbara Streisand. She could not get it. Now, I think that when it came to Prince of Tides, I think it was a lot easier. She proved herself. I mean, I think Spiel- Spielberg even said, like, that was an incredible directorial debut. Like, she earned a lot of praise after that came out. So it was a lot easier to get Prince of Tides made. But Yentl was a big challenge. Welcome to Hollywood. Welcome to Hollywood. But so even though the Oscars completely snubbed her 
as a director and as an actress. Now that year, by the way, was a rough year. Terms of Endearment kind of came out in the, you know, got a lot of love that year in the Oscars. James L. Brooks got the director Oscar. Um, Ingmar Bergman for Fanny and Alexander. I have no idea what that movie is, John. I love that movie. I own the like five hour version of it and I watch it once a year. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> what that's is a, that? That's a Criterion collection that, that, that I've got sitting, sitting right over there. Wow. Okay. I, love, so, I love Fanny and Alexander. So stiff competition. Stiff competition that year, yes. So, but she did get nominated for um, Best Picture and Director for Golden Globes that year. She won Best Direct Best Director. She has since been the only female Golden Globe Best Director winner not since. True. No, not true anymore. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. She's the only female director that has won a Golden Globe. I confirm that as of January 2020, that is still true. I, I would have thought still Catherine, true. Mike, I would have thought Mike is predicting that Chloe Zhao is gonna gonna win this year, and so no, he, he thinks that... <laughs> I, I would possibly. Thought, I thought Catherine Bigelow would have had one of those. Catherine Bigelow won the Oscar for The Hurt Locker. Mm -hmm. Five women have been nominated for for Oscars. Catherine Bigelow is the only one that won. The, Barbara Streisand gave it to her. Barbara Streisand was the one that opened uh, up the envelope and announced her, which I guess is the Oscar kind of saying like, yeah, we snubbed you before. We're going to allow, we're going to have you read the card. I don't know if it's snubbing. It's hard. There's like, in a, in well, a given year, there's five people who are, we'll talk about it. That's we'll talk about it later, but anyway. But it, it was a she tough film to get made. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I get the story. She's a superstar. <laughs> it took her forever as a superstar to convince someone to allow her uh, the shot. She did a great job. Obviously, just being nominated, you know, is is fantastic her first yeah. time out. And she built on it from there. Right. right. I think there's a lot to say about female directors when we get there later. So I don't want to spoil that, but I have a lot to say about it later. I love the final scene of Yentl, by the way. The final song, the final scene. Powerful. You know how they say like in musicals, like the end of act one of Wicked just makes you want to stand up and like, ah! Same, that's the final scene of Yentl. Sorry, there's it, moments in musicals that just get you. It, it is, it, it is, it stems beyond being a musical. It's an iconic shot. The, yes, the, thank the, you. The boat shot is an iconic The boat shot, the song. Yeah, okay. That's the last thing I have to say about Yentl. It's all good. It's, uh, okay. so it's on the Criterion channel. I don't think it's on any other streamers at the moment. So you'd need to be a Criterion. Moving on, so it takes Barbara a little less than a decade to go into her next film. And uh, the next film is, uh, which was the one that I was responsible for watching and sort of updating us or updating our little panel here on, was The Prince of Tides. Uh, comes out in 1991. Uh, it is based off of the Pat Conroy book. And for those of you who aren't as familiar with Conroy, 
really celebrated author, probably most famous for The Great Santini, which has its own excellent, excellent film, which I would highly recommend people uh, catch sometime. But uh, so he writes this book, The Prince of Tides. He's from South Carolina. There are some, it is not his life, but there are some personal touches to it. Um, So it's one of those ones where you don't know where the faction and the truth or the fiction and the facts sort of blend together. We'll call it faction. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, um, Robert Redford originally had the rights to the book and to the movie. Uh, Has it for a while. And as everybody, or maybe not everybody knows, Barbara and Redford had a longstanding friendship and an excellent screen chemistry on the film for The Way We Were. The Way We Were. Yes. And uh, she was, she read the book, was passionate about it, and Redford gifts her the rights. So, and, and I think there was some understanding that she was, because she had been playing, toying with other things and maybe doing this film, maybe not doing that film. And I think Redford's was like, you got to do it. If I'm giving it to you, you got to do it. She goes and does it. Uh, so pretty quickly in, uh, this is an interesting evolution for Barbara. And I kind of, when researching this, I didn't necessarily just go to her words. I went to the words of her Conroy, of Nick Nolte, of the people who worked around her with the film. Uh, because I think the thing that really comes out, and Erica, you touched upon this when talking about Yentl, is this, as a filmmaker, she's incredibly, you might call it obsessive, but detail-oriented. And the thing, the word keeps on coming up from everybody is immersion and she emerged like she gets way into the psychology of the characters the skinny of the story is tom wingo is played by nick nolte and he grows up in south carolina and he is the son of a uh a shrimper guy going out collecting the shrimp and uh his father is a drunk and abusive and there's three children who grow up dirt poor in this household in the south and they are mentally they all have their demons to exercise and unfortunately uh this the story begins pretty early uh story kicks off the movie kicks off and his sister has tried to commit suicide again and so that pulls uh tom nick nolte's character back into dealing with some uh dealing with some issues that he's been sort of suppressing for a long time and his uh, what you learn through the course of the of the film is that his other brother has already passed away never quite clear reasons you feeling that there's the children are dealing with hard heavy issues but i won't spoil that in case you want to go watch it anyway fast forward tom goes up to New York City, and he meets Barbara Streisand's character, Dr. Lowenstein, and and she is his sister's psychiatrist, and it really starts turning to his his sessions. So what Streisand wanted to do, and I think we have to recognize this because we are so used to the terms toxic masculinity, she really wants to explore this back in the 90s, early 90s, when this isn't something that people are touching upon too much. And everything that happens pretty much at that point, once he goes up to New York, uh, the character Tom Wingo is a sort of a mediocre man, as as it's said by Conroy. He is uh, He's struggling in his career. He's struggling in his marriage, but he's capable of much more. The reason, and he is put, he's putting roadblocks He is the only one who is sort of suppressing his ability uh, of evolving. And um, Lowenstein starts to help him come to terms with some of the things that he has uh, that he has put up with when he was younger and putting them putting it in context. And there's some really interesting dynamics. One of them that was interesting is there's a George Carlin character, Eddie, who is the neighbor. And Eddie and Tom are as far apart as you can possibly 
imagine, but they are the yin and yang to each other. And Streisand does this intentionally because as Tom is wrapped up in a ball of nerves and not open with everything that's in his life, Eddie is the exact opposite. And Eddie, George Carlin plays Eddie, who is a, a, a homosexual character, which in the 90s, again, kind of a progressive move. Uh, so St- Streisand's taking some, some social norms and really just being like, hey, reanalyze how we see the world. Eddie is, the, Eddie is much more comfortable in his own skin than Tom is, despite everything that's going on in their life. I, I think it's, she really jumps into film as a director and she really starts diving even deeper to the psychology of things, even more so than she did with Yentl, to the point that she cast herself as Lowenstein. Uh, so it, it's fun. And um, one of the things, uh, there's some fun stories from it. Uh, the violinist, Pinkas Zuckerman. Uh, so when Streisand- Oh, her hu- is, the guy who plays her husband. The, well, he's, no, this is the actual violinist who does the dubbing for her husband. Her husband is a famous concert violinist. He's not really playing, but they have a violinist. And Barbara didn't like the way that he played the songs Dixie and Bach. And this is, Pinkas is- Oh my like, God. He's played with, for, with the Boston Pops, the New York Symphony, and he, particularly when he plays Bach. And he has a funny story where he's playing Bach flawlessly. She, she is a perfectionist. <laughs> she yeah, doesn't like the way like, that he's um... playing. She doesn't like the way that he's playing. And so she starts to sing how she wants him to play Bach back to him and Pinkos is like what am I supposed to say to Barbara Streisand (laughs) and but like she has but at the end of the day he recognizes that the way that she was sort of projecting it was more emotionally in tune to what was happening with the characters and what was appropriate for the film she really really immersed herself in this film and understanding it uh it should be also be noted like the only person it seems like she gave a little bit of carte blanche to was uh, the Stephen Goldblatt, who is the uh, cinematographer for the film, who goes on to get nominated for the Oscar for it. It doesn't win. This and film isn't gets- he isn't he her cinematographer that she works with, with all, for all of her films? Yeah. And there's something that should be noticed here. And Conroy pointed this out. And Nolte also points this out when they're talking about working with Streisand. And they both love her. That... For all people have a misconception about her, and she certainly has uh, diva esque qualities, but she has had essentially the same team working with her for 30 plus years since she started doing films. And that's the whole so- thing, though, about just to interject really quick yeah. you know, that's the thing that women get when they're like perfectionists and really good at their job is that they're divas, but men, it's you're ambitious, right? Like- right, right, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And um, yeah. Uh, Sexist. Sex, yes. Anyway, this movie to go to sort of continue again with the the award snubs, although I don't really think it's snubbed. This is an incredibly difficult year. This is the year of Silence of the Lambs, uh, Bugsy. Uh, it, it is up against some very, very stiff competition. And, you know, and, and it's nominated for minus the record, but it's nominated for like everything else. But it's just... It's a lot to overcome, but everybody on this film has nothing but glowing things to say about uh, Streisand, not just, you know, her as an actress, but really her as as an artist and a filmmaker. With that, I give it to John. Oh, well, I'll just chime in on a a couple things. I would say the cinematography, so I didn't see Yentl. Um, but it feels like very assured, like the direction and the cinematography. I, I was like, 
you know, kind of like loving just from the beginning of the film when she's setting up uh, Tom's childhood, you know, out in the shrimper shrimper world where where's he from they're from the carolinas or something south south carolina south, south carolina, carolina like the beautiful like landscapes at sunset like the light is like it's I mean, a, amazing it, it's gorgeous. it is it is a lush even the new york it, it is a lush beautiful yeah. film to watch oh by yeah. the way this the editing of the film to when they particularly with the top character tom like with the cooking the way that they use flashback and the yeah, callback, cutting and stuff, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's just a professional, mm -hmm. competent film from start to finish, and uh, I, I, it is my favorite of the stars. It looks, and just to back up what you said, John, it is gorgeous to watch, and they shot it. I think Mike, they shot it in Savannah yes, and that yes. is what Savannah looks like. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is what the, the mar like the marshy coastline shrimping. Yeah. It's beautiful. That is what it looks like. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah it feels like lived in and, and real and honest. I mean, New York does too, but you know, New York is, mm -hmm. we've seen, seen that in every, every film basically. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. I'm curious now because since I haven't seen you until like when I jump into, um, Mir has two faces, like I'm seeing like recurring, some recurring themes here. And I yeah. wonder though, if also it's a little self-critical now knowing more of her background, but there's definitely like, um, like failure to connect, like there's a disconnect and a distance between characters, especially like in romantic relationships. Like I wrote down a line that Tom's uh, wife says to him when he finds out she's seeing someone else, she says, because he knows how he feels about me. Like there's like communication issue, like romantically. And then when we get into um, Mir has two faces, like the whole in over intellectualizing uh, aspects mm -hmm. of your life that, you know, yeah. <laughs> some serious, strange, <laughs> uh, strange issues mm -hmm. and rules. But yeah, I mean, in oh, Prince of Tides, Tom, it's, it's a similar, um, similar disconnect there. I, I think, mm -hmm. by the way, and you always hear this, and I think it was the, it's a cliche to say this, but they have incredible chemistry. Shocking. They do. Yeah, they, they do. do. They do. <laughs> they do. Nick Nolte and well, like there's... the way that they play off each other is. But he excellent. has to go through some inner growth to get to that point, right? There's yeah. nothing. There's no bigger communication gap than having to hide your gender from someone in order to be close to them, um, and and to literally to in order to stay close to them marry someone out that you first of all don't love and can never have a loving consummative relationship with in order to stay close to that person i mean it's it's out of you know it's kind of, it's out of the realm of possibility i mean it's fantasy it's it's nothing that could ever happen but then again the world is full of things that you could never imagine are possible and then happen you know but i mean the communicate but like Yes, there always seems to be some kind of, I think you're right, John, these, these gaps in communication that, um, yeah, there's always some kind of separation, but then it comes back together. That's the hurdle, you know, whether it ends up, yes, they, they reconcile or they don't. I mean, in, of course, we're not going to give away, give it away. In some cases they do, in some cases they don't. 
you know. But I'm wondering, you know, now about her biography because I'm I'm thinking that uh, her coming back to these topics are saying some things about Barbara. Well, in Ye- in the case of Yentl, she made her relationship, she made a very close relationship with her father because she never knew her own. I mean, he passed away when he she was 15 months old. She, she and, in, and to mm-hmm. piggyback off of that, in Prince of Tides, uh, she felt like she had a distant relationship uh, to her stepfather. And it, she sort of hints in a New York Times uh, interview that Tom Wingo, is she pulled some serious inspiration from her stepfather, who she felt was a not a bad man by any stretch of the imagination, but someone who wasn't uh, emotionally matured. Well, and I guess in Prince of Tides, you know, she was married to someone who was so ambitious in his own career that she was very separate from him, you know, that she was drawn to an affair with a character who was That's all right. emotional, are, uh, I don't yeah, know. who was who was floating around emotionally, and they're, so they're, they're holding each other on the poster. I don't think you're giving it away. Okay, you know, so she, you know, so here's, so yes, I mean, she, her, she's so emotionally distant from her own husband, who is drawn to his own ambition that. And she's completely cut off. So here she is with someone who needs her so much emotionally that, you know, that's so enticing, you know, wow, here's someone I can help who, who needs me so much. I can, I get so much out of that. So clearly she does, you know, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. And the whole toxic masculinity, of course, that Mike commented to as well from father to son, you know, and how that affects the, the next line she's almost 20 ahead 20 years ahead of that becoming like a very um like cultural theme in art and films Mm -hmm. which you know she she just men exploring that masculinity and going to therapy and figuring out their problems and she deserves a lot of credit for that she is way Mm -hmm. way ahead of the bell curve for that and appreciating women in a different way and <laughs> Not so, expecting them to just love, you know, take care of them and make babies. Make babies. <laughs> well, now talk about something we don't all appreciate. John, why don't you talk about <laughs> the mirror has two faces? Well, I'll just say really quick the Prince of Tides, of course, is on the Criterion channel, but it's also on Pluto TV, which is a free ad based app. So if you haven't seen Prince of Tides, you can see it for free on Pluto. Uh, if you don't have a subscription. So, all right, I'm not the uh, connoisseur of Barbra Streisand as as you two obviously are, so this will pale in comparison, but I will, a little bit of background, Mike thought that I would hate The Mirror. uh, (laughs) The Mirror has two faces, which came out in 1996. Erica also (laughs) did not want me to pick this one, so I felt it would be good one for me to pick right erica you you thought i should go for another one or you wanted this one i think i didn't want it i mean i thought that i guess i don't know just because it was a romantic comedy i thought that you know you would like it the least i thought we would give john prince of tides (laughs) to be honest (laughs) no worries well so all right so this is a yeah romantic comedy you've got um you know, the mathematician at Columbia, uh, and he's, 
I, okay, so there's something I'll try and not interject my opinion right from the start, but it's set up that you know he's he's very successful and you know he's he's sleeping with a lot of women that are like L McPherson level like supermodels basically, and oh woe is me you know he's he's got all this you know all these sexual relationships in his life, but he doesn't have that person that's on the intellectual level. Which is one challenge I have with the film we can talk about later, but it's kind of like, what is she saying there that if, you know, you're a very attractive woman, uh, you can't have a, um, a serious conversation is kind of the, the vibe that I got for a while in the movie. <laughs> so then you have Barbara Streisand's character, who's also a professor, um, and she is turning down dates. Um, she comes alive when, so he's very boring in his classrooms. Uh, she is like electric and comes to life in her classrooms and otherwise, um, you know, doesn't have much going. She's very homely. Um, it's against type, you know, for Barbara. So, um, you know, I always like, she can play it. Yeah. I like, she can play the homely type. Like movie stars, you know, I consider Barbara Streisand a movie star. Um, I I didn't know her her background and how much of a struggle it was to have Yentl um, brought to the big screen. But I always, it's kind of interesting when stars do kind of their vanity projects where they're like director, actor, producer, and they kind of play like ugly of themselves. Um, so I was kind of like, oh, okay, this is Barbara Streisand, you know, being homely. Okay. <laughs> so that she get, you know, so that all these stars, they get that scene where they like, you know, go through the transformation. Transformation. Yeah. Like super hot. Right. Um, but. Well, Yentl, she cuts off her hair and looks like a boy. Yeah. I mean, this one sounds like, sounds like the one I really need to watch is Yentl. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So. <laughs> uh we got the guy with l mcpherson that's not happy we've got the the woman that's um can't find anyone to appreciate her her also they come together um meet up go on some dates uh he ha for some reason he's played by jeff bridges um who is not really great. Very good looking. Very good looking, but he's not really great in this movie. Um, we've also got the overpowering mom, uh, played by Lauren Bacall, who uh, talk about the lighting. Um, the scene where we're introduced to Lauren Bacall, we've got Barbara Streisand and her sister, who's played by Mimi Rogers. They're both dressed in like these ball gowns and they're walking down this like, um, you know, big staircase. And then they come out into, it's like a scene that's just set up for the movie because there's no other human beings in this giant space. <laughs> yeah. And then there's Lauren Bacall. She comes around a corner and like the lighting is like this new, I guess new for the 90s. It's kind of like a 1950s throwback that's kind of updated for the 90s. Like the lighting is just perfect. And, you know, there's just sources of light coming from... <laughs> Every possible perfect angle to light these three women so amazingly, right? 
<laughs> but I, you know what? I, I okay. loved it. Yeah, I love I, it. I was going. I, love it. I was going along with it. Um, can I can I piggyback? There's yeah, a scene where to, I know exactly what you're talking about. There is a scene when this Brid- purple, beautiful purple cloak that she's wearing, and yes. she's. <laughs> but when Jeff Bridges is doing push-ups in their, you know, non-fancy apartment, and it's like, and like, it's just like the way that it's lit. It's just like it's in the bed. Stop it! It's ridiculous. The light, You're like, skipping the Lauren Bacall part. Let's yes, go back. Go on, go to on. The Lauren Bacall, please. Erica, you want to fawn? Mother of the bride. Let's. Let's go back to Mother of the Bride for a Laura second. Laura Bacall is the best thing about this movie. She is incredible in this movie. She's, she's good. I feel like, I mean, she, her character does have a little bit of an arc. I do feel for most of the movie, she's playing like one, one single thing, which she is a is one kind note. Of, yeah, it's kind of misusing Lauren Bacall a little bit while yeah. still really respecting her by lighting her beautifully and yes yeah. yes but that but that but that purple cloak and that scene you're absolutely right john she's M- mimi rogers is getting married and this and you know barbara Rose, Who's she getting married too Who's right. she getting married too pierce hunk, brosnan hunk of the Double 90s o- pierce brosnan hunk of the 90s 007 baby 007 <laughs> and so Mimi Rogers is the the sis the beautiful sister, right. the apple of um, mother's eye because she is the one who wore makeup and has beautiful hair. Got and just, just got married, just like mom, you know Lauren Bacall, who is beautiful and has perfect hair and wore makeup and is trim and all of these things. And so, and Rose is the ugly duck, duckling sister. Mm-hmm. And so Lauren Bacall comes in on her daughter's wedding day and just is wearing this gorgeous blue, you know, gown, beautiful hair, beautiful earrings. And she's wearing, I don't know where it comes from, this huge purple satin cloak that she just, and then she takes it off and it goes onto this bench. It's like, it's like out of a movie from Lauren Bacall's era. I, it's one of the best movies of the uh, one of the yeah. best moments of the movie <laughs> yeah and even like where the reception and stuff takes place who is knows like, like how much yeah. money do these people i know have? oh my well, god alex alex the guy pierce brosnan who she marries is very wealthy apparently yeah. it's yeah it, it apparently shows yes yes so yes. i mean what it boils down to is you know you have these two intellectuals they get together um uh what's his name Gregory Larkin, that's Jeff Bridges' character. Um, He gets it into his head that he can't have like a physical attraction um, to a woman. Otherwise, he can't like, it's really him, right? He can't go deeper. He can't have a conversation, but he blames it on the on the women like the women are just using him for sex and you know yeah they're they're the sirens and his boat will crash into the rocks (laughs) right it's the females yeah it's the females it's their problem they're luring him in and he will crash his boat into the rocks yeah so he gets rose barbara's character to sign up to this plan of you know just be friends have great deep conversations about mathematical equations and 
they pretty much English talk about literature. Every, and, yeah, they talk about everything yeah. but sex, and they get married, and you know, it's, it kind of continues. But then, you know, Barbara starts. Uh, well, she's always kind of had feelings for him, right? Like she starts having enough of it, and it causes some friction in the relationship. I mean, I thought there was some the, there was some really funny dialogue. Mm -hmm. um you know there's funny quirks like her character hides food like in random towels and, and yeah. like those uh pink snow cones yeah. are they called snowballs snowballs i think yeah like yeah. in uh drawers and stuff i mean there there were things that i thought were cute and that made me laugh and that were kind of biting and witty in the dialogue yeah um yeah, I, I guess that's yeah. enough for me setting it up. I'll just uh, what do you what do you guys have to say? I know Mike Mike has quite a bit to say about the movie. All right, well, <laughs> I I have always loved this movie. I have it on DVD. I find it extremely charming. There is something about it that just from the moment I saw it, it hooked me. I don't know why. I think Jeff Bridges is adorable. I think that. Barbara is adorable. I think that she is lit so beautifully throughout the entire movie. She is always just creamy and glowing. And you guys know what I'm talking about. She has that halo over her head. No matter what movie it is, she's got that hair, like that light glow over the top of her head. Her bedroom is all pink and rosy, and um, I want to sleep in it. I want to read and snuggle in it. Um, she has that huge um, pink house coat that she wears that looks very snuggly as well. Um, it looks very comfortable to be Rose, and um, I, I wouldn't mind being her on a Sunday, you know. Um, she just looks like somebody that, you know, I would like to be when I grow up, but I also would love to be married to someone like um, Gregory Larkin. However, uh, in the way that is both intellectually stimulating and not just stimulating because they do have a, a really intellectually connective relationship. I mean, it's not just like, wow, you're really interesting. It's they're simpatico, but also with the like falling in love and interest, you know, sexually interesting to each other as well. I mean, that seems like the perfect relationship. So Though he's in denial about it for most. Of and he, yes. And I mean, the unfortunate thing is he ends up feeling exactly the same way, but he's in denial about it because it doesn't fit into his intellectual uh, picture of of you know not wanting to have his boat crash into the rocks uh, because that doesn't work out for him because he's a dumb male, okay? He seems to think that he has some intellectual power over his sexuality, which is ridiculous because we all know what happens when men try to repress their sexuality. I mean, let's go back thousands and thousands of years when toxic masculinity has <laughs> taken over and men try to hide their emotions and sexuality. Um, I don't know, mass shootings. Um, I don't know, like things that happen in. You don't want to bottle that up. 
You don't want to bottle it up. Let's just put it that way. It comes out in weird ways. It comes out in weird in un- ways. In unhealthy ways. Like public restrooms, abuse. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't want to bottle that up. So um, I think that, you know, he's very sweet, but he's very dumb. And eventually he, you know, he makes the right decision and goes with his feelings. It's very sweet. And I love the backdrop of New York. Um I think that, you know, when she says, you know, I'm gaining weight as we speak, it's very sweet, you know, but I also like her evolution too, because she, yes, it's, it's like a woman wants to be loved for who she is and yes, eat your snowballs and love your baseball, but be healthy. And if you find yourself motivated go with it. Whatever reason you feel motivated about, if you're motivated because you want to feel attractive, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, what are the reasons women are motivated anyway? If you're motivated because, you know, you saw a picture in a magazine and you wanted to look like that, or you want to feel attractive to a male, I don't know, women have been doing that forever. Like, taking off their tops and like waving their tits around. I don't know. Go back, go back a thousand years for that too. I mean, let's, let's be realistic. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I mean, Uh, what about Pam? We just watched this, you know, bloody nose and empty pockets. Pam's lifting up her top and waving her tits around. That's all right. Tune in next week. Okay. You're going to listen to us talk about that next week. But women have been lifting up their tops and waving their tits around in somebody's face. Why? Because they want to be attractive to a male. So there's a lot of positive messages and romance. I love the end. They kiss. The guy opens his window. He turns on the record. It's a very like uh, John Cusack moment there at the end. Which oh, movie came? Which movie came first? Because he's 96? even wearing like the long. Kind say, of, any, say anything. Say anything came out first. Yeah, he's even wearing like the long, light colored. He is. Like, <laughs> yeah. And his loaf, his jeans, and his loafers, and his T-shirt. Oh, he's very cute. So and she's got her pink house coat on. Defend those movies. Although she is wearing like those. white has clogs. Uh-uh. Not my cup of tea. Women don't wear white clogs. Uh, it is nonsensical. It really oh, loses its uh, its threads right, pretty Mike. quickly. It's a what did you big think, sir? hot pile of bullshit. I don't know how else to put it. And, and, and it makes the cardinal sin. And by the way, by the way, I'm willing to give movies a ton of pass. This is a rom-com. And I think you have to sort of gauge a movie in the con- like. What's the genre it's playing to? What's it Come trying on. to accomplish? What's, and maybe a little bit of what it's trying to say, but like, what's it trying to do? And I think the mirror has two faces is meant to make you laugh and, and be entertaining. I do not find this movie, A, entertaining, it's boring, and B, it's not fucking funny. It's not funny. There is nothing remotely really remember. It is schlock humor. And she's better than this. It is a, it is like, I can't, and I know Erica loves it. This is like one of these movies. I actually, I actively hate this movie. 
And it's like, it kills me a little bit because I think that she's got a rom-com in her that I would love. This ain't it. The other thing I got to say is everybody in this movie, (gasps) minus Lauren Bacall, is too old or from an age standpoint to the character that they're playing. It's not the it's not the point. It's the it's a little bit of Hollywood vanity on some level. Like let's just be real about it's like they everybody in the movie is they're trying to but play it that's like they're the in their point. late 30s and everybody they're in the mature movie adults. Like in it's it, 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 it from an age graph from an age demographic it, it just recast the movie and I think it might actually People the over the age of 25 it, can have a, romantic relationships on I think she screen. got her friends together. Uh, Jeff Bridges was one of the people who unfortunately uh, um, because of scheduling conflict turned down the Prince of Tides uh, the main part. She she'd been wanting to work with him forever. Uh, Mimi Rogers is a friend of like these i think and i'm not against this it was somebody i think it's an opportunity for her to get like to work with people again and do something that was a little bit lighter because her first two ones are so heavy and they are and so she she says that she was looking to do a comedy nothing wrong with that but you got if you're going to be a comedy you better be fucking funny (laughs) and i've seen i've seen i've seen better material from the three stooges okay tom and jerry have a better funny bone than this movie there, I, oh, I, I thought parts were funny. So, is Wayne Mike, World, we watched is Wayne okay, World, we watched Wayne's World last night. All right, it was on television. I was laying in bed. I put it dumbest, on. It was funny when I was I like fourteen. <laughs> I was laying in bed last night. I'm like, this is not funny. Okay. So what's funny? What's funny changes as you grow, as you get older, what is funny changes. I'm just going to say that. This is mature. The point I am making is what is funny changes. This is intellectual funny. No, it's not intellectual funny. It's what is funny changes over the years to you. Schwing is not funny. Oh my okay, god. Okay, I'm 40 years old. We just un- watching Wayne's World is not funny the anymore. Real love. It's not a funny No, movie. I'm not comparing that, the two. That's the not my point. It. It's 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 Wait, a was Wayne's World or a romance between Wayne and Garth? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. This this is this is the this is the big fat rotted egg in her filmography. Uh huh. Uh huh. I I don't it, know, Mike. I, the, I, I, I think, I think you're wrong. My wife. I think you're wrong. It's not a funny movie, and I would dare say that if you look at its rotten tomato meter, a lot it's of the subtle it. humor that an adult would appreciate. I'm using it. You got to do some growing it's, up, Mike. Oh, that's oh, right. I use it as ammo. I convoluted. Oh, convoluted. you can't even well, use rotten tomatoes. Convoluted. It, that's not your ammo. Come on. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I think it's. Okay, I think it's conflicted, complicated. I'm wondering, like, I didn't, I didn't think it it worked, Um, and I thought that it kind of, you know, discredits a lot of like its own stuff that it sets up. Like, I really appreciate the approach because I thought it was like a unique, and I think I texted this to you both. It tried to be a unique approach to a romantic comedy, and maybe the unique part that Eric is talking about is a more mature romantic comedy. I wasn't sure what messages ultimately it was getting across because, you know, her character kind of like, I'm wondering what she's trying to say with the movie and maybe Mike, yes, maybe it's convoluted. I also do wonder because, you know, she's a bright, talented artist. I wonder if it is a little bit by design that like it, it kind of mirrors 
these complex relationships in that, you know, she ultimately goes back to the Pierce Brosnan character, which seems to be against what she, you know, stands for. Like, she's kind of bebopping around. Um, he's kind of a creep, really, to be honest. The Pierce right. Brosnan, he's, he's like stalking his wife. Um, <laughs> yeah. And she's not great either. Like, Mimi Rogers is definitely not, it's not a good, healthy relationship. Right. So I'm wondering, like, it's it basically says if you want romantic love, you have to diet, exercise, and wear makeup. Um, otherwise, you'll get stuck in some strange arranged marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Every everyone's is it saying everyone's different? Is it saying there's no normal? Um, I just feel like yeah, it does get a little um, scrambled. But I do wonder if that's what she's kind of saying. Is that um, I don't know. I think she's. No I think what she's saying. Well, long last. I think that they're both trying to say like both characters are right. I think she's trying to say that he's right and she's right. He's right in saying. That what lasts for people is you have to have a friendship. Like you have to have a connection with somebody that lasts forever, which is a true friendship, because that is what will last forever. You And she's right too, which is you have to have love and passion and sex and, and romance. But I think, I think they're both right. I think that the message she's sending is, hey, look. You're right, but your perspective is is like a very high-minded over a man. Like you're trying to overpower something that you can't overpower. And I'm trying to um, hold out for something. Like I'm trying to hold out for something that I maybe I'm, maybe I'm, she, she's trying to say with the Pierce Brosnan characters, like I'm elevating things to a higher level that Maybe I just need to look for a friend, you know, maybe I can't accept friendship. So I need to accept friendship, you know, like I, because Barry, right. She's like, I can't go on a date with Barry. <clears throat> I can't just go out with someone and see how it goes. If I don't get r trumpets and, you know, Puccini in my head, then I, I'm not even worth, I'm not even going to go out with this guy. Because if it's not love at first sight, I'm not going to give it a chance. Do you know what I mean? Even her sister has to respond to the ad. She wouldn't do it. Her sister had to do it for her. So maybe she's trying to say, like, they're both right. He has to go friendship first, and she has to try friendship, because otherwise she wouldn't go out with the guy. I think the perfect poster and name of the film would have been, it's complicated, and have both of them like this on the cover. <laughs> like those silly, like, kind of like uh, comedy stage theatrical faces, like. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, The Mirror Has Two Faces is kind of like, maybe that is the right title, though, because she's saying it's they're both right. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, There's one, just one directorial editing that I thought would have made like much bigger. So the movie, you know, when they're having conversations, they're talking about romantic comedies and how you're manipulated by like the swelling grand music and it tells you what to feel and, you know, that we kind of all live in that fantasy, which I thought was an interesting conversation. This movie, though, for no reason at all, and it actually made me laugh out loud, the movie starts <laughs> with this overpowering, swelling music that like even is overpowering like the opening dialogue 
dialogue of meeting these characters in their lives. And I was like, oh man, I hope the whole movie isn't so manipulative like this, which was funny then when they had that conversation. They should have saved that music and saved that moment for the end of the movie when they're out there on the street, which they do have it there as well. But it would have been the first time that they would have played this overpowering, swelling, manipulative music. That would have been a great inside joke for the audience. Yeah. You're right. You're absolutely right. Oh, that's so funny. I never even thought about that. It's just, it took me like, it took me a while to get into it because I was like, geez, all we're showing is like students walking to this building on a university and I'm hearing like, Pluto TV also has, the mirror has two faces besides the Criterion channel. Or you can borrow my DVD. Or you can dust off that coaster. That's right. I do watch it at least once a year, though. Well, I I just appreciate you, Erica, making these suggestions because honestly, um, you know, they're they're not films I I don't know if I ever would have watched uh, mm-hmm. uh, these these. So, yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, and actually, I think that's a nice um, transition because. I said, you know, I'm glad John watched these because if I said to John, John, who do you think are the most important modern day female directors? You'd probably go down the list. You never would have said Barbara Streisand. No, never. You never would have come to your mind. No. Yeah. I needed this education. I always think Ava DuVernay, like personally um i do really like chloe zhao's um first two films and this nomad land seems to be probably the best picture maybe so it seems like she's batting a thousand um and i like her style a lot yeah what about yeah actually what about her can you tell me more about her i mean she casts non mostly non-actors um is kind of what she's known for so it has a really you know it's natural lighting um stories of like you know um not struggling people but you know like regular everyday people she did the erica we actually showed uh songs my brothers taught me at film at the Erie Art Museum, which is about uh, an indigenous community. You see, she falls falls under like the the new, I think the new female voices that that are sort of coming up. As does in her second film, The Rider. I think from Streisand's generation, we could talk about uh, Amy Heckling. yeah, so. I think I'm okay. saying that right. Uh, fast I'm, I'm looking yeah. right now. So Nomadland, this Clueless, is the one, fast right? Times, this yeah. is the big one. Uh, Penny Marshall, uh, uh, Jane Campion, famous for piano. Um, um, who's another? Bigelow. Bigelow would, be, I think, be in Streisand's class too. Uh, but like you know, it's it's really uh, it's interesting because Amy Heckling. You mean a Clueless? Whole new, a whole new crop of female direct. Uh, Greta Gerwig, who I love, Little Women. I, I love what Gerwig's doing. Yeah, Jane Campion's great. Little Women. I mean, I listen with the mm-hmm. Oscar. There's a lot. There's always good. I, I I probably have a similar soapbox about the Oscars at some point. To be honest, I, because I just think I don't like the politics of the Oscars, and I don't think it properly. Well, that was sense. the big snub, but, right? Like to me, I Little Women, Ellie Confidential versus Titanic. Yeah, like Ellie Confidential is like much more. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot, right? Made film than Titanic ever will be. Doesn't necessarily mean it's the better movie. Yeah, but Titanic was such a like harder movie to make. He had he had more toys and more money. <laughs> yeah, I'll throw out a couple more. Uh, 
Claire Denis and Nicole Holofsener, I think, are um, a couple of my... Uh, Claire Denis is kind of a um, previous generation, but Nicole's makes them really good. A lot of romantic comedies and dramedies, I think. You, I'm I've sure never you, heard of either of them. Um, What's... Okay. I'm sure you've seen some of Nicole Holofsener's. Oh, Julie Dash. That's another one. Uh, Julie from, Dash is good. She deserves a lot of credit. Um, yep. Yeah. Um, so, oh, and who's who's the woman who directed? Um, she's in the Queen's Gambit. She was in the Mister Rogers, or she directed the Mister Rogers movie. She's a great upcoming director. What the hell's her name? Oh, can you ever forgive me? She did Mariel Heller. Yes. Yes. Okay. Thank you for remembering that. Oh God. Yes. Yeah, we're giving more women chances, so we're gonna get familiar with these with these names for sure. Well, let me just say this: I think women are doing more interesting films right now in general than men are on some level because I think absolutely in, as like we're you know I think we've fallen into such a genre trap on some level, and I think you're getting a lot of into like a lot of more of the independent um, true cinema right now from the female directors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On, guys. What do you mean by true cinema? Uh, not necessarily just trying to do tentpole movies. What about Patty Jenkins? I don't like Wonder Woman. I don't. Like <laughs> I, I got, I I've like got some first. issues. I, you notice I didn't mention Patty Jenkins. I'm not saying she's not capable. I'm just, I didn't necessarily add her to the list. Hey, guess what? That's probably progress too. There's female directors I don't enjoy. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of men that get to make bland, uh, you know, committee <laughs> exactly. blockbusters. So and Jenkins does too. Women. <laughs> Why not? That, that's, that is progress in a weird way. Right. So I do not like Patty Jenkins movies. I like the first Wonder Woman. I'll give her credit for that. But she's, ooh, I guess, you know, that's all right. They're not all going to be aces. That's been our episode. So thanks for coming to the table with some great thoughts on Barbara Streisand and her Criterion collection. Uh, lots of great comments and thoughts on uh, on these movies, on Yentl and The Prince of Chides. And the mirror has two faces. So if you don't have Criterion Collection, if you don't have the Criterion app on your streaming service, um, you can always, or if you don't have Criterion Channel, I think you can. Yeah, the Criterion um, Channel. Yeah, the Criterion Channel. You can see some of them on Pluto, mm -hmm. and um, you can borrow my copy of The Mirror Has Two Faces. <laughs> you have to give it back. Um, you know, you three-day rental. We can bargain on the price, okay? Be kind, rewind. Be kind, rewind. Uh, but yeah, come back, and um, that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. This has been Film Grain.
Because he's even wearing like the long kind of. Say anything. Say anything came out first. Yeah, he's even wearing like the long, light colored. Like, (laughs) 